from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. The Trojans Wired podcast. A, uh, the podcast is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. I'm Matt Zemek. I'm here with my producer, Ian Hest. It's that week, Carousel Week. It's the last week, the full last full week of the college football regular season. Next week is Conference Championship Week, when you have you know a small collection of teams finishing the regular season. But this is the last full-scale week of college football and that means the coaching carousel is about to get rolling it's about to go into hyperdrive baby and that means that usc's selection of its next head football coach could be coming up uh possibly as early as this weekend i wouldn't expect anything to happen this weekend you know maybe in the into the middle of next week at the earliest and then very possibly after the conference championship games so we're talking Sunday, December 5th, Monday, December 6th. But we could see something as early as this weekend. I mean, you don't, we don't know for a fact exactly how all of this is going to go. And so, Ian, as, as we begin our conversation, uh, you know, the timing of moves, the timing of decisions is one of the fascinating elements of the coaching carousel. I mean, like you're down in, in Miami and – you know, it would seem that with Lane Kiffin coaching Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss against Mississippi State on Thanksgiving night on a Thursday, you know, that means that he would his regular season's over Friday morning. It means that uh, an athletic director who wants him would be able to begin in earnest the interview process Friday morning after his uh, Thursday night game, and so. You know, that would mean that if Miami is serious about wanting Lane Kiffin as its next head coach, that, you know, the, the wheels need to get turning here. Like Manny Diaz needs to get fired now so that it, Lane Kiffin knows when he's coaching on Thanksgiving night in the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State, he knows that that Miami job is, is there for him if he wants it. So, you know, give us an insight into the timing of these moves and what has needs to happen when, and maybe like you know, if at Florida, which just fired Dan Mullen, like if if also if timing is of the essence in needing to make a specific move sooner rather than later to fend off other candidates uh, and other competitors in the coaching carousel, and to kind of structure the timeline and the timetable the way you know these schools need it to happen. Yeah, so there, there's a lot to unpack there in, in what you just said, Matt. Uh, the, the first thing is first, if I know anything about Lane, it's that he's going to take his time. There is not going to be anything imminent in all of that. He's going to enjoy the recruitment process of him. And so we should not expect anything very quickly. The second aspect of it is what does Miami do with their athletic director search? Uh, there, there's a lot of talk right now about Tom Jurich, which 
really came out of left field. Uh, it, it was a name thrown out last week that, uh, you know, at, at the time did not seem very plausible, but has gained traction. I don't know if that's necessarily because of media reports, fan interest, or what have you. Uh, but but that has gained a lot of bizarre traction, to say the least. Uh, Tom Jordan. Let me course, just jump in. Let me yeah. let me just jump in. Blake James, the AD, got booted last week, so Miami's AD position is open. All right. Correct. Correct. And and Tom Jurich was at Louisville, had, went through all of the sanctions before NIL was a thing. Um, and I, I'm probably doing a poor job of explaining all of this, but uh, sort of got ousted because of name, image and likeness. And uh, now is in the mix. Weirdly, very, very. It, it, it struck me this morning to hear his name be thrown around as much as it was in the conversations that I was having. But um, I, I think that there are other candidates involved. I still think that Lane should be considered the the primary candidate at Miami. Less so for Florida. Florida seems like they are going in a direction that is more old institutionally uh the uh, bob stoops has been thrown around mark stoops has been thrown around um uh uh, uh o'brien how uh, serious do you think they are as candidates I, yeah i i can see it i i it does it's not hard to see uh, um you know um I, it's not hard to see you know, getting past Dan, o Dan Mullen and going towards any of these, you know, Bob Stoops or, or types that, that would be considerable for it fits a Florida program very much. So. Okay. So, you know, looking at, looking at the larger landscape, uh, Ian, I mean, is there any particular, uh, you know, candidate and school, any particular marriage that you're looking at, like, you know, you see uh, uh, one job, you know, maybe becoming a little bit clearer, or is there like a job that you think ha will have a domino effect uh, on the rest of this process? And like, let's just stick with Miami because it's something that you know well. My thought process is that, that Miami is a job which will have a very definite domino effect because if Lane Kiffin goes to Miami, uh, that I think that that means Dan Mullen would then go to Ole Miss and and pick up the the, the open job there, and that of course that takes Dan Mullen. That would mean Dan Mullen is out of the coordinator market. You know, there there is a thought process in all of this for USC that you know you don't want Dan Mullen as a head coach. Like that's a non-starter, not a serious candidate. But oh, Dan Mullen is offensive coordinator. Ooh, that could be really sexy. So. If Lane Kiffin, I mean, if Miami fires Manny Diaz, puts in Lane Kiffin, I think that makes Dan Mullen to Ole Miss a very realistic possibility. You know, you consider at Ole Miss going from a Lane Kiffin offense to a Dan Mullen offense, that's not a difficult transition because both are great. Say what you will about all their flaws and limitations as head coaches, but they both develop quarterbacks. They're great offensive play callers and schemers. So the, the, the roster that Lane Kiffin has assembled at Ole Miss, Dan Mullen could come in and coach that uh, roster very easily and fluidly. So that's like a domino effect that I see. 
Do you have any domino effect scenario? Or you can take this in a different direction, just a job and a candidate or, a, or just a job in general that you think is kind of going to be uh, central to this carousel might have a gravitational pull on other candidates and other decisions made by athletic directors across the country. Yeah, so I'll answer your question in two parts. Uh, the, the first are, are two names that I've thrown out before earlier in the season uh, that I, I still think are really involved in this and actually have probably become more into the fray of possibly figuring new homes. Um, the first is Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. The second is Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator at Clemson. I, I think that those are two names that continue to come up in discussions that I've had at least. Uh, uh, as people that are are on the forefront of power brokers' minds, if you will. Uh, I, I think if you want to take that discussion in the second direction, which is, you know, sort of what you were saying on the back half of your question there, I think that Texas, I, I don't, I, you, you keep rejecting that. I don't know. I, I'm a little curious as to to why you do. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on why Texas isn't open. I think that Texas absolutely has the chance of of having a situation. I think North Carolina is very interesting to me. Uh, Virginia Tech moving on from Justin Fuente is very interesting. I, th- I think that there are a lot of like it, it, okay. it, we talked about this last week that there's starting to be these like high profile jobs that keep rattling up and up and up. All right, let me just let me stop you right there. You think Mac Brown's going to retire? You think he's like he's kind of worn out and this is this year was such a disappointment that you think he's going to call it a career? It wouldn't surprise me, I guess, is what I would say. I I don't see things improving there. Yeah, but it, it, does he want out? Like, do you think the pilot lights out, uh, to use a familiar phrase with Mac Brown? He He's, you know, I mean, he's had this whole situation with, COVID, right? Like this whole time that he's been back has been with COVID. And so he hasn't really gotten out of that cloud. And so I guess my question would be, does he want to see if he can do it without that? But other than that, there's no, this is, this is getting worse quicker than it's getting better for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's still pulling in elite recruits. Like there was a five-star offensive lineman, I believe, that he pulled uh, within the past three, four weeks or so. So, like, he hasn't lost his ability to, uh, you know, sell snow to Eskimos. Like, you know, he's just he's just born with that natural gift as a recruiter. So, to me, as long as he's still recruiting at that level, like, that that tells me that, like, he still loves the hunt. He still loves the game. Um, so, all right, you mentioned Texas. I, so, you want it, and you want my insight? Look, it, it, you know, Texas – went through Charlie Strong very quickly. It went through Tom Herman very quickly. Texas cannot be seen as the coach killer program. You know, it, it cannot be viewed as, as a program where after one atrocious season, and yes, the season's been atrocious. Like there's no covering that up or papering it over. No argument about that. But even then, Texas can't go through these cut these coaches uh, like a, a hot knife through warm butter, you know, that, that, that's just going to diminish Texas's place even more. And the other thing is that with the move to the SEC uh, coming up, you know, 2022 becomes the natural hot seat season for Sark. You know, that, that becomes a year in which, okay, 
you know, we got year one out of the way. You know, year one was atrocious, but all right, Sark, let's see if you bounce back. Let's see what you can do. Let's, you know, let's see how your recruiting class is. Let's see what adjustments you make. And then if Sark doesn't, you know, stumbles to this extent in 2022, okay. Like you, 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 you gave him a chance to adjust in one year. And then if you're moving into the SEC in 2023, you, you can go after your guy. So I think Texas really is in a, is in an in-between position. And it's just, it makes all the sense in the world to give Sark 2022. You, you see if he can adjust and improve. And if not, all right, then it's certainly fair to say, hey, we're now going into the SEC. We're now going a step up. You know, we're going to go against Alabama. We're going to go against Kirby Smart in Georgia. We're going to go against LSU. We need a new guy. But you don't make that move now uh, before playing one more year in the Big 12 in 2022. Matt, I had an USC question for you. How much does what's going on with Penn State and Iowa State mess with what you had thought about Matt Campbell and James Franklin? Oh, it's an excellent question. And, and, and one thing that I've seen, and also one thing that I've written about uh, on Monday morning uh, at Trojans Wire, there has been some talk that, you know, since Iowa State plays its final regular season game on a Friday, Thanksgiving Friday against TCU, you know, that's kind of like the Lane Kiffin deal with uh, Ole Miss on a Thursday. So Matt, because Matt Campbell and Iowa State play on Friday, that means he's available before other candidates, including James Franklin. And so uh, there is a thought that's going through the Internet. It's going through the back channel conversations and, and whispers that, you know, if Mike Mike Bone, you know, he he fired Clay Helton early so that he could get a uh, a head start on this coaching search. So there's a there's a thought process and it makes coherent sense, Ian. It, 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 it's it's logical. There's a logical consistency about it where, all right, I'm going to fire a coach early. I'm going to hire a coach early because after all, I've had all this time to look at options. So maybe Mike Bone doesn't wait until after the conference championship game. Uh, more on that in a bit. But maybe he just thinks he can swoop in Friday night, Saturday morning, pluck Matt Campbell like maybe. If he works really efficiently, talking about Mike Bone, maybe he signs Matt Campbell to an agreement and he can fly him out to the L.A. Coliseum for Saturday's game against BYU. Campbell could appear at USC's last home game of the season and start meeting people and getting the recruiting process and limiting transfer portal damage right away, uh, at, a, at, at basically as early as one could possibly expect in the carousel cycle. Now for listeners, I'm not saying that's likely, but that like whispers and chatter in the industry are beginning to pick up about that possibility. And one thing that I wrote about to kind of make the connection here, Texas Tech hired a coach on November 8th. It did not wait for the normal carousel cycle and all, all of these teams' regular seasons to end. It hired Joey McGuire, a Dave Aranda assistant at Baylor. McGuire recruited three players in his first week. And there is a growing sense in the industry that you don't ha always have to wait for the full carousel cycle to run its course. You can hire someone sooner rather than later. And, and for all the USC fans who think, and I agree with you here, that Dave Aranda is a better candidate than Matt Campbell, I would agree with that. 
But there is a thought process that maybe you don't get Aranda, you hire Campbell. The fact that you're gaining time on the recruiting trail and in the transfer portal, that gained time or saved time, whichever you want to call it, that might be as much value as hiring Dave Aranda a, a week into December. Because you, you might get Campbell on board, but you're able to save comparatively more recruits than you would with Aranda. Ian, you had something to say. I can't, I can't agree with you more. I, I think that you're entirely spot on there. And I guess my question to you is, how much has Aranda become the, the lead figure in all of this? Where we weren't talking about him a month and a half ago, and now all of a sudden, like he's the guy. Yeah, so I think I think a key factor in that, Ian, is that James Franklin has faded. I, I think that I think uh, uh, of all the things in the coaching carousel that people feel pretty solid about at this point, uh, and we're recording our podcast on Monday, November twenty uh, second. Um, people feel pretty, if not unanimous, there's more widespread agreement that James Franklin's going to stay at Penn State because you know his star has just fallen. Uh, because Penn State's offense has looked atrocious. Like, you know, the, the, remember that the USC season hasn't just been bad. It's also been boring and uninteresting. And Penn State has a very uninteresting team right now. And it's certainly not the kind of trajectory that uh, Mike Bone wants uh, for his upcoming coaching hire. Now, you could say that Matt Campbell, like James Franklin, has also struggled, lost a bunch of games this year. Iowa State just lost to Oklahoma. but Matt Campbell's doing that at Iowa State. James Franklin is doing what he's doing at Penn State, two totally different universes. And Iowa State came extremely close to sending Oklahoma into overtime or going for two uh, and the win in, in the final seconds, something that happened the last time Iowa State uh, played at Oklahoma in 2019. Iowa State lost on a game-deciding two-point try in the final seconds. So, you know, there's still reason to think that Matt Campbell, uh, if he can do what he's done at Iowa State, even with the struggle bus season this year, that you give him USC's talent, USC's recruiting advantages, all of the things that make USC a special job, that he can absolutely uh, rock and roll. So James Franklin falling has really been the vacuum, which has enabled Dave Aranda and Matt Campbell to both rise uh, in the carousel the past few weeks. You know, in October, uh, John Canzano, the Pac-12 columnist who you know follows the Pac-12 uh, up in Portland, he, he writes for the Oregonian. He also has a talk show uh, on Portland radio. In, in October, he said all the industry chatter was pointing to James Franklin as the next USC head coach. And then Penn State crumbled. And so that that reinforces the point that, you know, the results of this season had a real effect on the coaching carousel. Some would say it hasn't been a fluid situation. Uh, you know, and, and, and there's, there's some reason to think that that's true. Like maybe Mike bone had Matt, his eye on Matt Campbell all along because he knew that Iowa state would end its season, uh, on, on Thanksgiving Friday, and he'd be able to have a leg up on other schools, you know, precisely for that reason. Maybe that's true. That would support the argument that this hasn't been an especially fluid carousel, but the James Franklin trajectory does support the argument that this carousel has been fluid and it really hasn't been set in stone from the start. Ian. I wonder on that argument if 
like which direction do Aranda and Campbell look to? Do they look to the west or do they look to the east? And like where is their eye turning to, especially given everything that's happened with the Pac-12, changing commissioner, everything that we've talked about previously in the pod, and where that that sort of all the stuff that's happening with the ACC, if Miami or Florida State comes open, which are possibilities, everything that's happening with the SEC and expansion, if those are like that, that is happening. But wh- where do they want to turn? And and I wonder if that will, how much that will weigh in, in the possibilities of what's to come. Uh, before, before I answer that, Ian, you know, one thing. I've seen uh, on social media that Nebraska is pretty much committed to retaining Scott Frost. It's I, I unbelievable. Really... It's unbelievable. But but I mean that's true because like I, yes. I I didn't like see Trev Alberts make an announcement, but did but maybe he did and I missed it. No, I I, I covered the program. I still talk to a lot of people that are involved in the program. Um, I, like listen, Scott's an amazing human being. Um. From a football standpoint, I'll just speak for myself. Like I, I don't understand it. Um, I but, don't but think Trent that this Albert's is gone. made an announcement. Did he? Yeah, make an yeah. I, I, I mean, no. Like he has not stated. <laughs> he has not stated. But like, it, it's gonna happen. I, it, okay. It, it, okay. It really is. Um, I covered the program for a bunch of years, and. I guess I'll just like quickly opine about that. Um, Scott Frost is an amazing man. It's an absolutely amazing man. But um, from a football standpoint, it hasn't worked. And Nebraska holds itself to a standard that, you know, you, you talked about rotational jobs in terms of Texas. I mean, Nebraska compares itself to Texas to a certain extent. Nebraska compares itself to Oklahoma to a certain extent. Um, and, and so it is a, a little bit alarming to see uh, the indifference that is had to programs like Texas and Oklahoma that are on the horizon. I mean, Texas, even in their struggles, are now moving to the SEC. Oklahoma, even in their struggles, are still fighting for a college football playoff berth. And Nebraska, when was the last time we were talking about Nebraska being relevant? And they've actually, if you look at like the advanced analytics, haven't had a bad year. They have no, not had no. a bad year. Been competitive every game. Yeah. And but it it's just always there and not getting you over the edge. And so when you always wind up being in that situation, you always have to ask yourself why is why is that happening? And so to come with such confidence, they have the talent, which for Nebraska to get the talent is odd. Adrian Martinez is a great quarterback. Um I I, I just I struggle in the conversations that I've had with people that, that I used to work with back there. Um, I, I can't believe the level of confidence that has had with Scott Frost and, and what they've had so far now. And I think it's year four uh, of Scott Frost um, that, that they would come with some such gumption. All right. So you asked me a question. I wanted to get that, you know, a, a fuller picture of Nebraska so that I could answer that question. So if if Nebraska is retaining Scott Frost, that means the door is closed to Matt Campbell to go there. And I thought that was a job that he might have his eye on. You know, if he wants to stay in the Midwest, 
but but make a make an upward move in the in the job market in the carousel from Iowa State that was a possibility and then what I mentioned earlier about the the fall of James Franklin and, and the reality that you know he's probably going to stay at Penn State uh, he's probably just going to make more money um, and something might happen with his contract situation uh, on Tuesday of this uh, Thanksgiving week um, so if if Nebraska and Penn State are both closed if those doors are closed, then Matt Campbell would probably look to USC if he wants out of, of, of Iowa State. Um, so, you know, that is the that is the enduring question that much like Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, does Matt Campbell want to leave the Midwest? So if you close down Nebraska and Penn State, you know, it means that there's no other and also Mel Tucker, he's going to stay at Michigan State. Like LSU, after seeing Mel Tucker and Michigan State get sandblasted by Ohio State, there's no way LSU would want to get into a bidding war for Mel Tucker after Michigan State put all its chips in the center of the table uh, with a big, huge contract extension. So Michigan State closed, Penn State closed, Nebraska closed. There's no big Midwestern job for Matt Campbell uh, or Luke Fickle, for that matter, to move to. And that means that USC stands out pretty naturally uh, uh, as as the, the landing spot. For either of them. So that's kind of the dynamics there. And then Dave Aranda, you know, it's a it's a very intriguing thing with, you know, USC or LSU. Like he has Southern California roots, um, but he won a national title at LSU as defensive coordinator two years ago. And his family reportedly loved the experience of living in Baton Rouge. So you have two strong competing polls for Aranda. But for Matt Campbell, I think it's pretty clearly USC if he wants to move up. Uh, and if he gets the opportunity presented to him, do we know that Matt Campbell would say yes? I haven't heard anything yet that's solid about that. Now, you know, there's been back channel whispers that Mike Bone might really be making a move this week to get Matt Campbell on board quickly, as I talked about. So it, this might be a situation where Mike Bone really wants Matt Campbell. We still don't know yet if Matt Campbell really wants USC. It seems to be like there's two camps emerging, right? There seems to be like the USC, Washington, possibly Arizona State, uh, like like that side that's that's opening up. And then there seems to be the LSU and now Florida and possibly Miami jobs that are opening up. Maybe Florida State, I think Norvell probably earns himself another year, but like like there, there seems to be these two sort of competing camps that are that are having different candidates for each of their camps, and each camp has its own carousel that it's dealing with. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I think that uh, you know, uh, Aranda, the, the Aranda is kind of the may, might be the only crossover guy in terms of a guy who has one foot in both of those camps, you know, that Pac-12 camp you mentioned uh, with USC, Washington, and potentially Arizona State, if Herm Edwards gets Well, then you also have like TCU, right? Like like those type of schools. Well, and then on the East, you have Virginia well, Tech, you know, like. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Florida, you know, the SEC jobs, LSU in Florida plus Miami, like those are the, the glamour jobs, you know, in the, in the Southeast. Um, so Aranda has a foot in each door, but I, I don't see Campbell having a a real place in that southeastern camp. I think that it's more in the in the western camp. Does he want to move west? 
Um, you know, it, it's been interesting to talk to uh, Florida riders. I've been doing that on other podcasts that I do. Um, if you if you mention James Franklin to Florida folks, nope. Not interested. Uh, yeah, Billy Napier, I mean, he's not even discussed. He's not I mean, even everybody discussed. that I talk to. He's not even discussed around. Not even discussed. Yeah, he's just he's he's just Franklin seems to be a non-factor at this point. So when I do my uh, power rankings, uh, Franklin's going to drop a few notches. Uh, Billy Napier really is the name uh, that keeps that, coming that's up. An interesting in the, name to throw out. Yeah, he, yeah, he keeps coming up in the southeastern uh, camp. Uh, not 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 for Miami, but for LSU and Florida. And, you know, because he's situated in the state of Louisiana, there's obviously a natural thought process, which holds that, you know, he wants to stay in that state, but then make the jump up to LSU. But of course, will LSU athletic director Scott Woodward ever go that far down the list? Like Napier's not a top two guy. Um, the, the, The industry scuttlebutt is that Scott Woodward, who hired Jimbo Fisher when he was AD at Texas A&M, is going to make another run at, at, at Fisher. Keep in mind, LSU plays Fisher and Texas A&M this weekend in what is Ed Orgeron's last game as LSU head coach. So Woodward might think, because he's buddies with Fisher, the two men are close, um, and they're both friends with Jimmy Sexton, who is Fisher's agent. Uh, Scott Woodward might think that, you know, I can give I can, you know as much money as the Aggie oilmen in College Station have showered Jimbo with. Scott Woodward might think, hey, I'm going to give you, you know, 12, 13 million bucks to, to come over and coach LSU. And I, I, I do think Jimbo Fisher stays at Texas A&M. He just landed a five-star recruit. I mean, he certainly seems to be invested in that program, but maybe Scott Woodward thinks he can pull it off. Um, but um, so like that's the top tier of LSU's coaching search, uh, as I see it, and you know, probably not going to land Fisher, but I think after that, then Dave Aranda would probably be next in line. You'd have to think, I, I, I would say. So, if Aranda goes to USC, that might actually be the plot point, uh, the domino, which could make Billy Napier uh, to LSU a very realistic possibility. And if that does happen, what does Florida do? Where are the Gators? going to go, especially if Lane Kiffin goes to Miami and not to Gainesville. I mean, there's been some plenty of talk about Lane Kiffin going to Florida, but you know, if he goes to Miami, Florida doesn't have that path available. But, uh, but Billy Napier is certainly the hot name you're hearing a lot more of the past few weeks in terms of that LSU Florida pair of jobs. Matt, you talked earlier about dominoes falling, and I think that Aranda to if 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 we're playing this game out, and Aranda does go to USC, Billy Napier does go to LSU. I mean, I think that Aranda might be a might be the top guy for LSU, from what I've heard. But um, outside of that, the the other stuff like the. Lane, Lane Kiffin going to Florida is so silly in my book. I, I don't know where people are getting this from. Um, I don't think that it's serious. I'm just being honest from having covered the man at Florida Atlantic University. I, I, I don't get the Lane to FAE or to, to UF stuff. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so well, if, if uh, well people, unpack, if, unpack that. I mean, not now. Before, and before I before you do unpack that, like I know that you know Miami, South Florida is not you know quote unquote the South. 
it's it's a very different culture unto its own. It's not you know part of part of a larger whole in the South. It's kind of its own separate uh, ecosystem. So you know, obviously, very different from Gainesville, Alachua County, uh, two very different worlds in terms of culture. But I would say that you know Lane Kiffin, he coached at Tennessee, he coached at USC, he's coaching at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, th- those are you know Southern ball coach coaching stops. As sure, but what's to, what's the difference between to Miami or Los Florida. Angeles? Oh, go ahead. What's it? No, just to, like if someone can explain to me the difference between Ole Miss and Florida, I would love to hear it. I I, I will completely entertain that. Well, then this, you just have a much better chance of uh, winning a national championship in Florida. Do you think so? I don't. Well, sure. I don't know why any why Florida. Why, why, gonna, why not? Well, why not? I, I mean, Florida's won three national championships in the past uh, 26 years. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just don't see I, – I, I see Ole Miss. They have the talent right now. They have – I guess you could make like an SEC West versus SEC East argument. And you don't, um, have, the, you don't have the access to Flor- the Florida recruiting pipeline you do in Gainesville. Um, yes and no. That's become a little nationalized, right? Like, I, I, I get it. I mean, the transfer portal is kind of a leveling out factor, but at Florida you certainly get first pick. Like, you know, Ole Miss and Florida are not battling for the same exact pool of recruits. I mean, the transfer portal levels that out to a degree, but Florida is going to get the bigger brand for most recruits. Sure, but I but I think that Ole Miss has, um, you know, just as much of like a atmospheric level, has, has the stadium, has the facilities. It, I mean, we're, we're like, we're, we're, we're arguing in the margins between Ole Miss and Florida. I, I don't think that that's enough to pull you from what you already have to what might be in terms of going to Gainesville. I do think with Miami, there is everything that Lane Kiffin wants to be. He's going to be the villain. He's going to make the money that he wants. He's going to, you know, be in that lifestyle that he wants. He has a home. His kids can go back to their school. He gets to be a part of this community that's going to embrace him in all of that, uh, like, let's be jerks mentality. Uh, I think that it's everything that, that Lane Kiffin wants to be, that, that Florida is very old Florida. Florida is very old Florida. And I, I just don't see Lane Kiffin as a fit at Florida. I, I do see it as a fit at Miami. Like he, he and, and again, full disclosure, I'm a Miami grad. But I see it as a complete fit at Miami. There, I, 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 I'm struggling to think of another coach who makes more sense to be the Miami coach than Lane Kiffin. Oh, yeah. And, and let me be clear. I would say that Lane Kiffin is a much more natural fit at Miami than at Florida. No question. But especially with that the is a, That is a separate, that's a separate matter from whether Lane Kiffin to, to Florida makes rational sense. Like, I think that certainly does. I mean, like, you could question whether that move's going to work out or not. That, now that's one thing. But the idea that he would be interested in that job, I can certainly see it. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Winning, winning I, I don't, really, I don't really see it. I'm gonna. I'm winning just national honest, championships is a, is a nice little lure. Like, I, I, 
you know, I don't know. I, I just don't see I don't see Lane Kiffin being in Gainesville, Florida. Like I, I've been to Gainesville, Florida as more times than yeah. I can count. Like I just don't sure. see Lane Kiffin in Gainesville, Florida. I, I don't think that's the most likely outcome, but I don't think it's like this absurd remote, you know, one in a million chance either. Like I think the, I basically and I think there's a middle ground between those two things. Definitely don't think he's likely to end up there, but I don't think it's, you know, crazy pants. You know, that's fair. That's fair. I I, I don't think that, you know, I mean, he's already in the SEC. So I guess that is a a step up in that hierarchy. But to me, just I don't know. I, 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 I struggle to find reasons to pull you away into this whole new thing. And when when you're already now, I mean, what are they like 12th right now? Like to to pull you into this whole new environment that is so chaotic, you're you are at the main state school again. I don't see a lot of like the the beneficial things that people keep talking about that make it such a no brainer that that would make him. I, I see it as like a lateral move for him. Perfectly understood. Let's let's wrap up the show with one final name uh, because I talked to our friends at Gators Wire uh, behind the scenes the past few days since uh, Dan Mullen uh, got fired. One name that came up for uh, one of the staff writers at uh, at Florida, Mario Cristobal. Now that's kind of like a situation with Lane Kiffin in that it, it's much easier to imagine him landing at Miami than in Gainesville. Uh, now, Cristobal and Kiffin aren't the same exact uh, person, and they are—they definitely aren't the same exact coach. Like Cristobal is a, 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 a guy who prides himself on physical, tough, old-school football. Uh, Kiffin, you know, likes to coach him up and throw the ball around the ballpark, kind of like Steve Spurrier did uh, at Florida. So very different mindsets and styles. But uh, you know, a Gators Wire writer thinks that Cristobal. If he shows any remote desire, uh, any interest in the Florida job, a Gators Wire writer told me that's the guy that a lot of Florida fans uh, would like to have as a coach. And that could be a product in of simply of Crystal Ball is an elite recruiter. He, he, he recruits on par with the best of the best, with the big boys at Oregon. And that's where Florida has so clearly fallen short. So, I mean, that like that's the attractive component. For the Gators, at least as as in terms of what Gators Wire uh, insiders have been telling me the past forty eight hours, your Gators Wire insiders, your Gators Wire insiders are completely correct. I've been nodding my head for the past minute and a half. Like, yes, Mario (laughs) Cristobal probably makes more sense to Florida than he does to Miami, and and that's why this conversation is so weird to me. Now that um, is a plot twist I was not expecting. Oh, Mario Cristobal is is makes. To- I told you a couple weeks ago that Cristobal was always the one who got away, and it's never been able to be at a Miami. But at Miami, for Miami, at Miami. Right. not not Florida. Right. So I could totally see a I could totally see a world where Mario Cristobal was the head coach of Florida and Lane Kiffin was the head coach at Miami. Like that that yes that that I don't think that that's as crazy as as it'll probably come off in this podcast. I think that that's actually 
like that would actually make I hadn't thought very much about that prior to you saying that, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, you and our Gators Wire insiders, uh, and you do want to follow Gators Wire for their coach their coverage of the Florida coaching situation, just as you also want to follow our friends at LSU uh Tigers Wire uh, for their coverage of the LSU coaching situation. You know, what they say about those openings may or may not influence the USC opening, but certainly like with Dave Aranda, like is definitely what LSU is uh, doing with Aranda, like that could have a direct effect on what happens at USC. So Ian, first off, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, your extended family. Uh, I am very thankful for you and all the amazing work that you do uh, producing this podcast, getting it out every week. So enjoy your holiday and I'm going to look forward to seeing how much the coaching carousel has changed uh, by the time that uh, we gather next week. Maybe USC will have a coach. I wouldn't bet money on it, but we could be getting certainly very close. So, uh, Ian, thanks so much for all that you do on this podcast. Matt, happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, happy everything. It's so good to always spend every single week with you. Absolutely. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you next week. Uh, maybe with a new USC head coach. We'll see on the next edition of the Trojans Wire podcast. So long.